welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 16 for July 22nd, 2010. So today we will be rounding out the 1997 year by reviewing Star Trek Early Voyages number 10 and number 11. Ooh boy. Yes, and the cool thing about these two is uh, we get to see the beginning and end of the Tholian Wars. Is it actually called the Tholian Wars? I can't remember. I'm calling it that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah okay. the Tholians, Tholians are definitely the big bad guy in these two. Exactly. And it's quite quite the conflict, which, oddly enough, wraps up in two issues. Yep. You like we get, those... a lot of, get a lot of background on why uh, Nurse uh, Gabrielle hates the Tholians so much, oh, which they've, yes. they've been hinting to over the last ten, ten yep. issues. And she's got, she's got a good reason to, to hate them. She does. Well, do you want to jump right into it? I think so. All right, so, so. here we go. All right. All right, so uh, issue number 10 was the uh, entitled The Fallen Number 1, and it came out in November of 1997. Uh, I did not write down who was the writers and things, but I believe it was the, the normal folks. Uh, yeah, two looks seconds. like Ian... Edgington and Dan Abnett, writers. Right. Michael Collins is the guest penciler. Yeah. Uh, Greg Adams, inker. Matt Webb, colorist. Janice Chang, letterer. Bobby Chase, uh, editor. And Bob Harris as editor-in-chief. The big chief. So pretty much the same people except for Michael Collins. And I think he's done the last couple issues, didn't he? Um, yeah, he's done a couple issues. But interesting... Michael Collins. Yeah, and he does the next issue, too. Yeah, Patrick Zercher, normally. Right. Is the uh, penciler. All right, so let's get into the story. So uh, the Enterprise crew are reviewing a distress call from a Federation colony named Jubal. Uh, They have uh, an image of the attack, and they recognize that it's Chacken ghost ships. Uh, they discuss how the Chakin are known for being the shock troops for the Tholians. Pike speculates that this attack might lead to a war with the Chuckins. Uh, number one vehemently declaims that due to the slaughter of 100,000 people on Jabal, that the war has already begun. So maybe I worded that wrong. But basically, uh, Captain Pike thought that this might lead up to war, and number one was like, oh no, it's already happened. All right, so uh, as they approach the planet, uh, they detect the warp trails of several small ships. Uh, Pike orders the, the Enterprise to follow the trail and uh, all hands to stations. In sick bay, Dr. Boyce tells Nurse uh, Gabrielle that they are pursuing the Chuckin. Uh, she was not part of the briefing, so she's incredibly shocked, and she's reminded that her family was killed by the Chuckins. Um, and then I have a little <laughs> note. Chuckins, Chuckins. It's C H A K U U N. How would you pronounce it? How about Chakun? 
All right, chacoons. Sounds better than chuckins. Doesn't sound very threatening, <laughs> chuckins. But chacoons. Chacoons. Okay, gotcha. Um, but I, I just make a little side note here. I thought that was odd because I only remember her saying that it was the Tholians that killed her family in the past. I don't remember the chacoons being uh, discussed, but we'll right. get into that later. All right, so uh, one of the Chakun ships swings around from the Armada and starts attacking the Enterprise with a modified fusion caster for planetary bombardments. Uh, Spock claims that they, they cannot survive another hit. Uh, the crew discuss that the ship will have to drop uh, small parts of the shields in order to fire again. Uh, Captain Pike takes over the phaser control. He waits for the Chakun ship to start the fire, and he fires first straight into the energy emitter. Uh, the explosion causes a huge shockwave that slams into the Enterprise. We suddenly flash to ten days after the attack. The Enterprise is in space dock above Earth for repairs. Number One and Pike are visiting uh, Pike's family in the Mojave Desert. Uh, they meet up with uh, Pike's father. Uh, Spock and Yeoman Colt, Tyler and Sita are in New York seeing the sights and uh, Tyler actually asks Colt out again um, and Nurse Gabrielle is taking a shuttle to Florence uh, on the way to Florence she has a uh, she's plagued by some images of the Chakun attacking her homeworld when she was a child um, when she's visiting with her uh, young brothers uh, they ask her that if she sees a Chakun uh, will she kill him or her? Uh, she says no, that she will do only her duty. Uh, the Enterprise uh, and a task force of four other ships start heading back to uh, another distress call. Uh, this time it's the Calib colony. Uh, they beam down uh, security and personnel to the planet, and the colony is completely wiped out. Uh, just then, a squadron of ghost ships appear around the Enterprise, and they start to fire. Or I don't even know if they start firing yet, but uh, it's to be continued. Very, so, big, very big setup. Yeah, it was. And the, you had the whole little side story about them being on Earth that I kind of glanced over. But basically, yeah. Pike's, Pike's having like an identity <clears throat> crisis that he's not going to be at home if his dad ever needs him kind of thing, and... Tyler has the hots for Colt, and uh, Sita is basically trying to hook them up together. She's she's playing the game of uh, he wants to meet you for dinner, and she wants to meet you for dinner. Then they show up, and neither one of them knew anything about it kind of thing. There you go. So, all in all, I, I like the story. I thought it was a little abrupt that they suddenly, they're getting attacked, they blow up that one ship, and then the next panel, they're on Earth. Yeah. Well, they might want to move things along. Yeah, I guess. But would they really go all the way to Earth uh, if they had damage like that? Wouldn't they go to a closer space Star station base? or something? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe in those old days they didn't have as many uh, facilities spread around for big repairs. But who knows? They 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 need to get back to Earth, you know. So, right. So yeah, they... especially so Pike could see his father. Blah blah blah, and. They could kind of set up things where maybe Pike started thinking of number one in other terms. Yeah, they tried to build up that romantic thing, but it, I didn't really buy it. Yeah. Well, as we'll see in the future, it didn't really amount to much. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I give a spoiler? That's a spoiler. You shouldn't have said anything. Oh. <laughs> 
So, uh, what do you think about the the Chakun? Well, we. I don't think in this issue we actually see the warriors themselves. I don't think. But I think the ships, um, in some ways, are kind of cool because they're extremely insect-like. I mean, uh, when you actually see the, the, the opening panel uh, as, you, as you open the book, uh, first big grabber um, page size uh, artistry, the one ship looks like some kind of a, uh, a winged insect like a wasp or something or whatever, and it's all kind of straight, the, the, the back part of it's straight out, but then you see another one of the ships that's really close to the ground and blowing the crap out of a, uh, a tall building, and it's, and it's kind of like, 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 like a bee, not a bee, but, uh, but like a wasp, but with the stinger all the way down underneath the top of the ship. So these ships really can move in very unshipply ways. Yeah, they're very flexible. I thought they looked more like like manta rays. Manta rays? Okay. Yeah, because yeah. they have like the oh, that's the, true. The, yeah. the little things that come off the bow of the ship, like the mandibles of a manta ray. And... Sure. Yeah. But that's I, true. I, I, to- I totally see the uh, insect thing you're talking about, though, too. Yeah. But yeah, they they have like joints all the way down the spine of the ship, so that they can it looks like they can wiggle and stuff like a like a bug. Which is like. I don't know if that is an advantage, but uh, it looks cool. It does look cool. Yeah. The part that I didn't really care for was that they're so friggin' powerful. Yeah. I mean, these are smaller ships. They're smaller than the Enterprise, and yet two shots could could destroy the Enterprise completely. Well, they're advanced ships. They're they're an older race. Yeah, but I mean, this is supposed to be eighty years before Picard and. Picard never had anything like that or even really went up against anything like that that was small like that and could take out a Federation ship in one shot. True. All right. Yeah, and because the Borg was always bigger, bigger ship. Right. And, yeah. and the uh, Borg could still, I mean, even the Federation could still hold its own on a Borg at least for a couple of shots. They very rarely went out in one shot or two. But... Also, in general, they wanted to assimilate, uh, like, for instance, the Enterprise the first time around. So they didn't want to destroy him. But... Yeah. And then when the, uh, and then when the whole uh, squadron of uh, Federation vessels were, were attacking... Yeah, whatever. Good point, though. The uh, advanced ships, obviously, and they do seem to be unusually uh, potent. Right. They do. And this was a while ago, you know. Well, maybe the Federation ships weren't quite as good back then. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Maybe not. Uh, I did look through it uh, in the flashback of Captain, or the nurse, uh, her flashback when she was a child. It does mm-hmm. show the Chakun, and it shows them that they have four legs and two arms. Yeah. So they look almost like centaur type. Exactly. Except, like, insect Look a lot like a bee. I mean, a, an ant, I guess, is what they're going for. Yeah, I guess. And uh, we'll see later uh, that that part of their insect appearance is their uniform or their, right. armor, their armor or whatever. Yeah. But they do look – they look like an insect centaur. That's a very good description of them. Yep. Okay. That's really all I have to say about this one. I, I 
I feel like I'm not. I don't have a lot to talk about on this issue. Yeah. Uh, I I'll liked mention... it, but it was just set up for the next one. Exactly. It's just a set up one. Um, I thought near the near the beginning of the um. Well, at the beginning of the uh, of the issue, especially when the Enterprise is, uh, hears of the attack and goes to the aid of the uh, of Jubal or Jobble, Jubal, whatever, um, they were they went up to warp nine. The Enterprise went up to warp nine. Isn't that that seems high to me? I mean, isn't that how high did the Enterprise go uh, in Kirk and Spock times, Max? So th- th- well, this should. This should be novelty, or uh, novelty. Uh, a good um, question for for one such as you, my friend. Well, and I might be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure that in the old show, they went to like warp thirteen and stuff 13? like that. Thirteen? No way! They, they, really? They didn't. They didn't have the warp ten max that was established back with uh, with uh, the next generation. Um. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, 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 I thought they, I thought it was more like eight or seven, but I, yeah, may, maybe I, my memory's too low. But well, no, I think like in retcon world where they're trying to, you know, you know, fix some of the things that they might have gotten wrong in the first series. They've, yeah. they've gone back and said that. But if you watch, like, I know for sure, like in Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home, yeah. uh, when when they do that slingshot maneuver, they're right. I mean, Sulu's sitting there counting up to ten at least. Yeah, because he's like warp nine point seven, and then you know the the bird of prey starts shaking, and he's like nine point eight. <laughs> I mean, so I mean, they're trying to imply that a just a Klingon vessel can also go up to warp ten. Yeah, uh, but they're also trying to imply that they're going super fast because of the gravitational slingshot effect, which, quite frankly, in my opinion. Even with the gravitational force of the sun or something, you're trying to slingshot around it. I mean, that's got to be. I mean, I don't know. That just seems so much slower than than these warp speeds that the that the ships normally go based on their own so own engines. But whatever. Right, and even in the show, you could see the sun. It's pretty good size, and you can see the the ship going towards it. If you were really going, you know, the speeds that they're talking about, because warp one is supposed to be the speed of light, right? Yeah. So warp two is supposed to be twice as fast as that. Warp yep. three is supposed to be twice as fast as that. So if well, you're getting more up to... so, as you go, if I remember correctly, the this uh, we're just geeking out. Um, yeah. The warp speeds are not a it's an it's an exponential curve, not a linear one. So yeah, it isn't so just e- a doubling. It's even more than a doubling. I thought it was a I thought it was basically oh maybe it's like uh, multiplying it by itself. Is that what it was? I, I don't remember the exact equation, but I do know that it's more than double. Each one is more than double than the previous one. Okay. Well, I knew that it was quite a bit more than the one before. So if you yeah. were going nine, then that means you're going way Foku faster. Fast. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, much faster than the speed of light. So if you were going that fast towards the sun, you know, blinking and you're at the sun. But, you know, but that doesn't make a good visual. No, it doesn't. But speaking of time travel and the whole slingshot thing, I remember as a kid, um, you know, I, I watched all the old Star Trek on reruns, and they usually came on late at night, like after on Saturday and Friday at like twelve o'clock. And for for a little kid, that was hard to stay up for that late just to watch Star Trek. But I tried every weekend. 
And I remember, I remember the first time I saw the episode where they go back in time to the '60s and they end up beaming up that uh, that fighter pilot. Right. I, I don't remember the episode, uh, but I remember like it just starts off, and then in the captain's log, uh, Kirk is like, "Well, we slingshot around the sun, and now we're in the past." And I'm thinking, "Oh, this is must be part two. I must have missed something," you know. <laughs> No. And it wasn't until later when I was watching it on DVD or when I bought the seasons on DVD, I was like, uh, no. We just finished around the sun. Never explained it before, but we did it. So anyways. Amazing. Anyways, we are way off topic here. We are way off topic, and you're breaking up a little bit. But you, mm. you sound better again. Okay. All right. I'll try to talk slower. No, no, that that won't help. It was I the know. Cylon breakup. I was being sarcastic. Okay. All right. You know, so I, I, can I say something, though? Um, okay, so here's a few th- comments uh, I had. Uh, so Warp 9 seemed high to me. Maybe not. But on the same page, um, it's like, I think it's the, the, the second page in, They ha- at the bottom, they had a shot or a drawing of a close-up of Pike. And I thought that was pretty good uh, Jeffrey Hunter drawing. Uh, yeah, the very so bottom. Looked, the very bottom. Look pretty yeah. pretty accurate. Uh, sometimes he looks more like Jeffrey Hunter, and other times not so much. Uh, but that that was definitely a, a good uh, rendition. Um, uh, and then on the opposite page of that, number one doesn't look at all like number one. No. On no. the top of that page, which yep. she says, "With all due respect." Right. Yeah, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of pages she doesn't look that much like Major Barrett. But and you know nothing against Major Barrett, but. It's not necessarily a bad change. <laughs> That's right. Ah, boy. Okay, so another thing. I did make a note of the fact that uh, that I was surprised that the Enterprise would, lo- would lose its shields in the first shot. I thought that was uh, surprising. Um, and um, about five or so pages in, though, there's a shot where the Enterprise is right at the maw of the ship. Oh yeah, and it's huge. And I gotta say, the uh, the Chakun ship looks huge compared to the Enterprise. Yeah, but later doesn't it show it later, and it's like really small compared to the Enterprise. Yeah, like they're almost like fighter pilots, fighter ships. Oh well, though, well, well, those really were fighter ships. Oh, okay, they came out of yeah, the they, they came out of these bigger ones. Yeah, they had two. They had two different classes of ships in the so, as we'll see in the big in the next issue, beginning of the next issue. Uh, the big, the big conflict between a bunch of Federation ships and a bunch of Chakun ships. Uh, they ha- they have fighter. The Chakuns have fighters, and then they have their ghost ships. Both. All right. Well, I apologize. I did misrepresent that in the uh, synopsis there because huh. these ships are huge compared to the Enterprise. Yeah. Did right. you like that? I love New York. When they got to New York, you saw the little statue. Oh, I didn't notice that. So which? Uh, okay, so they're in uh, New York. And yeah, by the it, way, interesting to see the open top shuttlecraft. Yeah, but before you get to that, it's the it's before you get to there. Yeah. Uh where it actually shows New York and it yeah. shows the twin towers. Right. Uh oh, which is interesting. I well, guess they must have rebuilt it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's weird cuz the whole New York skyline is 100% futuristic except for the twin towers. Exactly. And of course that's the one thing we know won't be there in the future, unless, of course, they rebuild them. Right, and that's why Which this looks unlikely. retro. That's why yeah. this looks retro, because they rebuild them 
in the old style to re- for the uh, centennial of uh, 9-11. Oh, maybe the <laughs> Could bicentennial. Be. Could be. Could be an explanation of it. Where, where do you see I Love New York? Uh, right below the Twin Towers in the, uh, in the next panel, right below it, you see the little I Heart New York. It's like a golden statue to the left of Spock and them. You see where his oh, says, I didn't we'll even stop. see that. That's cool. <laughs> that that's a nice that I think that's a nice little Easter egg because I didn't notice that at all. It's like bigger than they are. Not, it looks but like just, re- just it looks like just some statue to the left to me. Yeah. Until you said that, I did not notice. So it actually has the let. They got a statue that actually has the letter I, a heart, and then beneath it an uh, a, an N and a Y. And that's the statue. That is very clever. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah, let's 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 just move forward. We well, can't be in here forever. Do you want to I, I do, do want to like... talk about Pike's dad at all? He he's I mean, he's not in the next issue, so I guess we should at least talk about him here. Okay. Briefly. I mean, you think they're trying to build him up like a Clint Eastwood type? I mean, he's like supposed to be unemotional and this gruff rancher type cowboy. With his cowboy boots and everything? Uh, probably. And also, the guy is in great shape. I mean, he's got to be at least, what, 60 or something, based on Pike's age, 55 or something. And the yeah. guy is just way too skinny. Right, and he's wearing, like, skinny blue jeans. I mean, these these blue jeans are, like, painted on him. Right. <laughs> and he's in, in wearing these big cowboy boots. Right. But that'll be the style, man. In the so. in the way out west, cool. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so there's a little bit of a father son, what competition? Can't please dad. Uh, high standards. Um, yeah, part something. Of what and then, made and Pike then, what he is. Yeah, and then Pike's like wondering if he's doing the right thing about going out there. And I mean, all this harks back to that issue where what was his name? Kaj tricked Pike to think that his dad was dead or dying or whatever. But oh, again, right, 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 right. Yeah. I, I really did not like the whole Earth thing. I mean, I understand that you had to get uh, nurse the nurse to, to reminisce on what she went through as a kid, but this whole New York thing was, I thought, kind of tacked on. Yeah. yeah. A filler. It could be filler. could be thought it was filler, too. Well, um, I do like the Gene Roddenberry reference. Really, I missed it. Where was it? So, um, actually, on the other page, after we uh, have that little, uh, you know, that that part where uh, Pike's father is involved, um, in New York, when they're in the open-top shuttlecraft, like like an open touring bus, there's a spot where they're saying, okay, see those gargoyles, Spock? They're styled after Plymouth hood ornaments. (laughs) Hmm, they resemble Targuan effigies of the great bird of the galaxy, who were, who were, who were those hooded Plymouths. Alright, I don't get it. The great bird of the galaxy. That's Gene Roddenberry. He went, that's what he went by? No, um, he, he had a nickname of the great bird of the galaxy. He was referred oh. to as the Great Bird of the Galaxy. Um, I, I did not know that. 
the the only reference of the Great Bird of the Galaxy that I knew of was in the New Frontier books. Uh, that first story arc was you know this big thing about the Great Bird of the Galaxy, and that it was like this big type phoenix thing that would fly around the galaxy or whatever. Um, and then they end up actually finding it, but I won't spoil anything. But that I did not know that Roddenberry went by the Great Bird of the Galaxy. Did I lose you? Yeah. No, 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 you didn't lose you. I just did a Google search. And so I looked up the Great Bird of the Galaxy and they have the Great Bird of the, of the Great Bird of the the Galaxy, a tribute to Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> the Great Bird of the Galaxy soared through boundless imagines and presented to the world his greatest gift. Yeah, so blah blah blah. And then there's another one, Memory Alpha Site, which is a Star Trek wiki. The Great yep. Bird of the Galaxy was a was a mythological creature evoked as a blessing in 2266 after Janus Ran brought him some food. Hikaru Sulu said, and well, whatever. I'd have to go to the site to see the rest of it. Anyway, Roddenberry uh, has been referred to from time to time as the Great Bird of the Galaxy. So there you go. Well, now I have learned something from you because I did not know that. I never called him that. No, I. Always I... Call- I always called him Mr. Roddenberry. I felt I called him Gene. <laughs> so when we used to sit around talking, um, I never could I, I could never bring myself to calling him Gene either. So uh, it was pretty much Mr. Roddenberry. Uh, kind of off subject, but uh, there was a TV show called The Tick that uh, that had Patrick Warburton as The Tick. Yeah, that's great. And he's he's talking to Arthur, and he's like, "You lucidity." Yeah, he's like, you and Lucidity's on a first-name basis. I still have to call him Mr. Lucidity. <laughs> Which <laughs> I always thought was a funny joke. Yeah. So, yeah, I just called him Mr. Roddenberry. I, I didn't feel go. comfortable with the nickname. Yeah, yeah. Huh. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, let's see what else. Uh... Yeah, that's about it. Um, oh, I, I will comment, though, that... Um... Towards the end, where they've got the uh, the Enterprise and the other ships uh, yeah, the, in the task force, I right. do notice that they have some single nacelle uh, ships in that task force. Uh, yep. Yeah, there's looks like there's two of them. Uh, at least in that photo, yeah, it looks like probably two. Right. I think they say there's only four ships with them. They actually name them off, don't they? Uh, during the fight, yes. Well, it says right here that... Federation Task Force uh, comprising of the Achilles, the Nelson, the Providence, and the Brazzaville. The Brazzaville, yeah. Yep. So there yeah. they are. But it is odd that none of them have their markings on the on the saucer section. So none of them oh. have the, including the Enterprise, which is way in the foreground. Yeah. It didn't even say USS Enterprise on there. So was that a cost thing or something? I mean, why wouldn't they do that? I don't know. Maybe they thought it would clutter up the the art. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. It also looks very shiny. It does. Maybe they're trying to say they just got out of space dock. They're all shiny and fresh. And cruising for a bruising. Cruising for a bruising with those Tholians. Okay. That's all I have to say. All right. I'm done as well. Excellent. I'm going to see if I can dynamically cut down my synopsis a bit because I'm I'm pretty wordy in this one, but we'll see what happens. Okay, so um, December 9, 1997 
Issue number 11, titled The Fallen, Part 2. Uh, the writers are the, the same people on the last issue, so I will not go into that again. All the same folks, though. Creative team. Um, okay, so, synopsis. The cover shows uh, Carlotti shot from a low angle to enhance her look of power. She has a determined look on her face. She is in an away jacket and brandishing an old-fashioned, cool old-fashioned uh, phaser rifle a la Kirk in Where No Man Has Gone Before. Uh, she is in, in an enclosed space with damaged walls and smoke billowing behind her. The lettering in the shot reads Carlotti's Revenge, which makes sense given the look on her face and what we know from the last issue where her mother and father killed at the hands of the Tholians. Of course, that happened a long time ago, but we found out about it in the last issue. Um, okay, so the part two, uh, part two of our story opens on a decimated Theta Kali. Uh, yeah, I guess the name of the planet. Uh, external shot, complete with fires and smoke as far as the eye can see. Carlotti... Dr. Boyce and a third member of the Enterprise crew are helping survivors out of the Earth colony that was attacked by the Chakun warriors who are members of the Tholian Empire. Meanwhile, above, the Enterprise and the Federation Task Force is in a fierce space battle with the Chakum war fleet made up of hundreds of small fighters and much larger ghost ships. The Brazzaville, another Constitution-class starship, is blown to bits by the combi- combined firepower of two ghost ships. Back on the planet's surface, uh, back on the planet's surface, a ship crash lands near Carlotti and the rest of the landing party's position. Carlotti, brandishing a phaser rifle, goes alone to check for survivors. Back in space, the Enterprise appears to be caught in another flanking maneuver by two ghost ships, similar to the one that successfully destroyed the Brazzaville. Pike recognizes the trap and commands the helm to implement evasive maneuvers Pike 45. They avoid the Brazzaville's fate for the moment, but take a direct hit to engineering. As the ghost ships come around for yet another pass, back on the planet, Carlotti makes her way down the crashed Chakum ship and finds a lone injured survivor. She sets her phaser rifle to frag and, in a fit of vengeful rage, takes aim at the survivor. Though she tries... Though she tried, she could not bring herself to, ch- to kill the Chakum warrior. She sees that the insect-like killing machine has a pressurized helmet that hisses as she removes it to see the face of her enemy and her new patient. Though its, though its body looks like a cross between an insect and a centaur, the face is that of a very human-like female with blood issuing from multiple lacerations. Back on the Enterprise, Mia and Mr. Tyler have a moment during the pitched space battle that bodes well for a future shipboard romance. Captain Crow of the Achilles uses a trick of his to get into to get two ghost ships off the Enterprise's back. The trick involves loading up two sh- two shuttlecraft with photon torpedoes, blowing them out decomp- uh, decompressed shuttle bay like bullets and detonating them with phasers in front of the oncoming enemy. The trick appears to take out both ghost ships. Unfortunately, two more ghost ships vector in on the Achilles and destroys her. Fifty-three survivors are beamed to the Enterprise. Back on the surface, Carlotti debates the wounded debates with the wounded Chakam warrior as to who's at fault in the, in the current war. Each side thinks the other side's territory 
Each thinks the other seized territory that did not belong to them. The Jakum warrior calls the humans a child race that still does not fully understand the cosmos. Carlotti learns that the Tholian's concept of borders and territory is quite different from the Federation's. To them, the cosmos is constantly in motion, so space alters and boundaries change. How convenient for them. The Tholians are are realigning their territories every eight cycles to compensate for the expansion of the universe, I guess. Uh, Carlotti realizes all the bloodshed was over misunderstandings, not thoughtless expansionist aggression. Meanwhile in space, with two federa- only two Federation ships left, the four remaining ghost ships put the human si- side in dire straits. Though the odds are against them, they consider, and they consider withdrawal, Pike decides to fight on and uses the photon torpedoes loaded in a shuttle trick again. They take out another enemy ship, which makes two versus three. Meanwhile, back on the planet, the perceptive Chakum warrior correctly interprets the fire in Carlotti as revenge for a personal, for a personal loss. Carlotti admits to losing her parents and barely making it out with her two baby brothers from the new Milan colony massacre. The Chakum asks why Carlotti did not just kill her when she had the chance, since she hates them so much. Carlotti speaks of humans having compassion and their need to understand and find a way to peace. The words have an effect when the Chakum activates her rescue beacon and sees two guards beam in as she does not have Carlotti killed on the spot. The guards call the injured Chakum a cohort general and def- defers to her orders to not harm Carlotti. The three Chakums beam out just as Dr. Bryce and the others enter the wrecked ship to find out what happened to Gabby. She says something quite extraordinary happened to her. In space, the Chakums break off their attack on the remaining Earth vessels. Hostilities cease. Later on, starba- on, the, on, the, on the Starbase, at Algol, Pike and Carlotti exit a conference room where they were being debriefed by the brass. They realize Carlotti's debate with the cohort general gave both sides a much better understanding of one another, which on which to work out some kind of truce. Another happy ending. So that is the beginning and ending of the Tholian War. That the Tholians weren't a part of at all. Uh, well, directly, but their foot soldiers so, were. Yeah, so you notice that they didn't go all the way to Earth. They they made it to that other starbase. Star yeah. So why couldn't they do that the first time? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, well, that's just being nitpicky. Nitpicky. Yeah, let's see. Okay, uh, I thought it was interesting how the Chakum Warfleet had so many fighter craft. Most Star Trek opponents have big ships, like the Enterprise, and usually just enough to make an unfair fight with the Enterprise prevailing anyway. So I like how this issue mixed things up a little bit by having a lot of fighters. Yeah, the, the only time I ever remember... In Star Trek, that there was actually like fighter craft, yeah, was in uh, in the video game. So there was a, a video game called Star Trek uh, Insurrection, mm-hmm. and then there was one called Star Trek. Uh, what is that one called? Mirror Darkly or something like that. Uh, Shattered Universe. That's what it was. Um, but in the Shattered Universe one, it was kind of cool because it was Chekhov. Or I'm sorry, um, Sulu in command of the uh, Excelsior. And somehow the, 
the his crew of the Excelsior gets switched with the uh, ISS crew of the Excelsior in the Mirror Universe. Mm-hmm. And in that in that Mirror Universe, the, all the shuttlecraft were replaced by these little fighters, which was kind of cool. Huh. And and then in that Star Trek in Invasion, I guess it was Star Trek Invasion, not Insurrection. Uh, in Star Trek Invasion, uh, it was like Captain Picard and Worf were now commanding this small fleet of experimental Federation yeah. sh- craft. And I, I I always thought that was a cool idea because yeah. I mean yeah, and and you were flying one of the fighters, right? But I mean right. that's a, I mean uh, maybe it's because I've watched Star Wars too many times and the little X wings were able to take out the Death Star, but. It just makes sense that if you had a whole bunch of little ships, it would be harder to take them all down than than just blowing up one big enterprise. Right. Yeah, and, and I en- I enjoyed that uh, that uh, video game where Worf is teaching you how to f- fly the fighter, uh, the Federation fighter ship. That, yeah. that was cool. I actually played that a fair amount. And, and what's funny is that you know this is the first time you ever saw the Federation had these little ships, and then you go fight Borg and you fight. Romulans and you fight all these other species and they all have little crafts too so I mean <laughs> it was just kind of funny because you've never seen little crafts like that in Star Trek before but yeah it made a good game I liked it yeah but anyways yeah I, I totally agree with what you're saying this is the first time in, in a comic book I've seen smaller ships yeah except in uh, Star Trek New Voy or the early voyages, there was that one where the um, where Pike and the Enterprise fought off that attack on that starbase, and the uh, the pirates, the bandits, whatever they tended to have smaller ships. But well, I mean, I thought that was more like you know, I thought those ships were more like bird of prey type, you know, ship size ships, you know, small, but they still have like a the traditional bridge and a traditional engineering section versus yeah. just like Not a quite fighter craft. one or two man fighter craft. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. But in in the in I mean pretty much in the TV series is is really where I'm getting at. I mean, you, I don't remember were there ever any fighters? I don't remember there ever being fighters. No. In any of the in any of the series. I don't think there was. I mean, even in the when Picard went to that pirate ship or whatever. Yeah. I mean, they they still had the traditional bridge with you know six or seven right. people controlling different things. Right. I will say one thing: there was a Deep Space Nine where Kira Norris ends up in a Bajoran ship, which might have been a fighter, but it was it was on the planet. You know, so it, it was more like a plane than a than a spaceship. I don't. I'd probably remember it if I saw it, but... And our, one thing that was cool about that, not to digress too much, but um, there, there is kind of a glassy kind of cockpit, and it was kind of cool because at least they went to the trouble of having, like, as the ship is making these maneuvers, they showed the light source, um, because the lights, the source of the sun is changing uh, relative to the cockpit. They showed a lot of uh, quickly moving shadows across them, so I thought that was kind of cool. Huh. I'll have to go track that one down. I don't. That does not ring a bell at all. Yeah. Well, but yeah, yeah. But that that was the only thing. But that wasn't really a space. I don't think that was a spaceship. I mean, I, I think they depended upon the shuttle trick, maybe yeah. a little too often. I mean, wouldn't I mean were the sh- uh, the, the Chakums uh, stupid? I mean, like. 
I mean, look at how many ships they took out. Yeah, they took out three ships. And it was still working. But when when, uh, that first captain, when he did it, did Mm -hmm. you notice that he shoots the uh, shuttles out of his aft section? And then in the very next panel, he's turned around. You enunciated that right. (laughs) But in the very next panel, he's turned around and he's shooting the phasers uh, out out of the front. Yeah. That's a heck of a move. Yeah, he had time to spin around uh, 180 degrees and then fire him. Ah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that didn't seem they 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 definitely should have went a little further and then just showed the fire the phasers firing backwards. But right, which which we know they can. Uh, the big part that I had a problem with on this this comic uh, was you're in the middle of a big battle. You're you know your your armada is getting blown up all around you. Your uh, a yeoman is walking behind you and she trips because you're being attacked. You leave your station to go pick her up and then ask her out on a date. <laughs> <laughs> and then she says yes, and then he gets back in his chair, and your uh, coworker that's sitting next to you is like, "Hey, she finally, uh, she finally <laughs> said yes," and you're just like, "Dude, <laughs> we're in a bird a pitch battle here." Yeah, you don't. I mean, yeah, you hate to see somebody fall over, but you don't <laughs> leave post and go pick her up and then ask her out again. Uh, I just thought that was a little odd timing on on his part. Maybe that's why they discourage uh, on ship romances. But uh, so hopefully been, they'll. I don't want to digress. Hopefully they'll announce some uh, Star Trek uh, Twelve uh, announcement there at Comic Con this year. I would love to see that. You know, they they should have like something. They should say something about it. Unless they're going to just keep it all secret until closer to the time. But I hope not. I hope not too. And what what really annoys me was that uh, after the movie came out, they announced uh, and this is a uh, pocketbooks. They announced that they were gonna they announced three Star Trek titles uh, novels that were going to be based you know after Star Trek Eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know they had the the titles, the authors. It was up on Amazon for pre order and everything. And then they pulled them because they wanted they didn't want to step on. J.J. Abrams' toes on, on you know that that continuity or whatever, right? Which which is cool. I understand that, but still, I, you know, I'm I'm a little impatient. I wanna I wanna read some more about what's going on in that universe, right? So me and, too. Right? You would you would buy those books, wouldn't you? I I totally dig it, man. <laughs> All right, back to the comic. Uh, when Gabby was debating with the uh, with the general or whatever, I thought when she talked about the Earth people being such a child race, you know, kind of thing, whatever. Isn't Earth part of the Federation? And aren't the Vulcans and other members in the Federation that have been around forever? And it's like I don't know, you know. It's like it's like they they they're totally forgetting about the other planets in the Federation, and they're just talking Earth, 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 which is fine, but. I just thought I'd throw it out there. It seems a little bit odd. Unless, of course, Earth, I mean, back then, Earth was not as fully into the Federation. I thought they were. I thought they were a founding member. But, whatever. Donovan? Oh, hey. There you are. Oh, yes. Okay. That's what the... that little red light means. It means mute. 
<laughs> oh, you had the mute on? Okay. Yeah, and I kept trying to talk to you, and I kept looking at it going, well, the red light's on, so I know he can hear me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah. You know, when we were younger, at least I, I had this excuse because I'm old, but uh, when I was younger, I actually wouldn't make those kind of uh, mental uh, inversions. Mm. What's your excuse, man? Because uh, I'm dumb, I guess. No, 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 no. Anyway, no, I, that's just that's just an observation of mine. No, I absolutely. I was agreeing with you while I was on mute, and uh, I was also trying to say that. Uh, I mean, we've already seen that there's a um, what an Andorian admiral or whatever in this continuity. So mm-hmm. you're totally right. They they shouldn't be so human centric on uh, on her comments. Right. But uh, when she took that helmet off uh, in a very like predator type moment with the mm-hmm. uh, hissing of the helmet coming off right. and you saw that it's a feminine face underneath that armor and she has all those lacerations on her face um wouldn't i don't know what was the purpose of wearing the helmet if you're still gonna get <laughs> cut up in the if you're gonna get cut up like that i had the same comment i mean yes. the helmet had no scratches on it at all and yet yeah. when she opens it up she's like big gash in her forehead and lips all bleeding right uh i thought good it was point funny. good point Another thing I was wondering about the whole uh, the whole shuttlecraft sh- uh, trick, maybe it speaks to how quickly they can fire photon torpedoes, but wouldn't you get like the same kind of effect if you just, you know, shot real fast? Like, okay, you load 10 up inside of a shuttlecraft, blow it out. You know, couldn't you just shoot them 10 times? I don't know. Well, if you go by Star Trek 2... Throwing out a photon torpedo is a lot of work. You got to pick up all the deck plating. You got to have like <laughs> four or five people shooting the tube down there. Exactly. It's very but, manual intensive. But not so in Star Trek Eleven. No, and it shouldn't be. I mean that that's ridiculous. That it. Yeah. I mean they were only doing that so that they could show the audience that they're that the what the torpedo tubes look like, so that we would be able to have a nice cool coffin for Spock later. Exactly, but uh, no, uh, no, I totally agree with you on that one. Um, but I mean, if you did load up all your ship, all of your photons on that one ship and shot it out there, what are you going to do if they did dodge it? I mean, you just <laughs> lost all your your torpedoes. Yeah, yeah, quite a bit, quite a bit. And a bit. I mean, are those things like are they are they hot all the time? So I mean, uh, usually when they like come out of the tubes, they're like these brilliant balls of light. So you, right. I always assume that you know when they left the ship, that's when they became hot and they would blow up if they hit anything. But you would think that you know the torpedo just laying inside of a shuttle wouldn't. I mean, if you just hit it with a phaser or something, wouldn't it just? I don't know, not blow up. <laughs> well, what fun would that be? Oh, I don't know, not blow up. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe. I mean, because if that, be if, if that's the case, then every time a ship gets hit in the engineering section, you know, you always run that risk of all of our photon torpedoes just blew up. You that's, know, they, that's a they, good point. Uh, Although I gotta say, you know, it's you know, it's almost like it's almost like they think they can make this stuff up. No, to this be is any all, way they want it to be, to just to be exciting. This is all real, Ken. It's all real. It's all real. I'm sorry. It will be all real. 
It will be all real. There you go. <laughs> so uh, when the Enterprise beams over the ship, uh, the 57 survivors or whatever it was, right. does that mean that the Enterprise took down her shields in order to beam it up? Must have. And they... that many people that quickly? Woo! Yeah. That's pretty good. And why doesn't he use that whole shoot the photon up the up the insect's mouth thing again? Yeah, like, the pike maneuver. Yeah. I mean, they, I don't know. I think I would try that. That way you use one photon torpedo versus a whole shuttlecraft full. <laughs> well, if you could truly take out an entire ship, or in one case, two ships, with that trick, <laughs> I guess it could be worth it. Yeah. And uh, you kind of missed it there towards the end, uh, or maybe you did this on purpose, but Pike, in the middle of the fight, has a little sidebar where he's, you know, whining about his dad or something like that, Yeah. which I thought was a little odd. I mean, why would he and number one start having this conversation about him being with his dad and stuff in the middle of a fight? Yep. And then her making that keen observation about his true motivations, which he did not even realize himself or would not admit to. She really knew him. What was it again? I forgot. Oh, I don't know. Wanting to, wanting his father's acceptance. I forgot what the hell yeah, it was. Yeah, something like that. But anyways, I, I again, like the whole cult being asked out again, just weird timing. You, yeah. don't do the, you don't do that stuff in the middle of a fight. Yeah, I agree. I agree, man. But, you know, you got to do something to keep the women happy, you know? You know, a little romance thing? Something to keep the women happy? Am I am I digging myself a deep grave here? Yeah. Probably. Please note that Ken's comments in no way reflect <laughs> the thoughts and feelings of Star Trek Comic Book Review. <laughs> oh, you think your wife's listening to this? Obviously so. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Man? Your wife might be listening to it, and then you're going to Oh, be, I doubt that. You're going to be in it deep. Yep. Anyway, so, so anyways, that's it. So the beginning and unless you have anything else of the war, uh, no, 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 I don't I really don't have anything else. I, I, I think from a from a rating standpoint, these two uh, were good, not great, but they were good. I mean, they had a a lot of space battles, which were pretty which were pretty cool. A lot of ships, um, not as many as a Dominion War, mind you, but not bad. Um. It just, you know, I think it could have been better in some ways, but not bad. Yeah, uh, it just a little choppy, I thought, but I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Yep. But uh, I mean, you are, con- like you said earlier, you're you're trying to condense a what could be a pretty large story into two issues. Yeah. And filling up one of the issues with, you know, little character moments while they're sightseeing and stuff on Earth. Right. So really, it's only one issue. You take that part out. Exactly. Now, what I think a far better job are the next four issues. The upcoming four-parter. And it's called Futures, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Indeed. So... Well, yeah. Oh, it's uh, let me see. So, so issue twelve is Futures. Issue thirteen, I think, is Future Tense. And I've got written down that issue fourteen is. Futures again. Maybe I have that wrong. And then 15 is now and then. Mm. Mm. Yeah, whatever. So we're going anyway, to do the first two next time, and then uh, the 
the conclusion, uh, the episode after that. Yep. Yep. And this four-parter uh, has some very special guest stars. Yeah. Something so to be, something to look forward to. Some pretty significant uh, cameos. Exactly. Um, some very small ones, just pictured characters that you don't normally see in the series, and then some very large treatment of at least two old friends. Something about future. Hmm. hmm. I don't know what that future. could be. Future. Alternate futures. Hmm. Anyway. All right. Good stuff. Excellent uh, stuff. I didn't actually find out what was going on at the end of 1997, but uh, we'll go over it next time. Ah, okay. I'm cool. falling, falling behind on my job there. Sorry about that. Oh, that's... Hey, hey the, the greatest thing is we are coming under an hour. This is... This is uh, well, this is great. This is this is a record. It helped that we only did two issues, and they were normal sized issues. The last time we tried to do two issues, they were both like forty eight page issues. Right. So this time we, uh, and the reason why we did this was so that we didn't have to break up the uh, the four part uh, quadrilogy. Quadrilogy. Yes. Although I guess we could have gone over the first one, um, but. Uh, that's okay. We'll, we'll go with the shorter ones. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that well, being said, uh, have a good good weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Until next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Okay. Bye, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.